Hello and welcome to this edition of the American Sheep Industry Association's Research Update. I'm your host, Jake Thorne. The topic for this month's podcast is something that many producers across the U.S. have on their mind this time of year, and that is selecting rams for the upcoming breeding season. Picking out your next sires, whether that is from a sale or even from a set of bucks that you raised yourself, is a big decision that will have a profound impact on your next lamb crop. Making the right purchases and, just as importantly, properly managing those rams requires some background knowledge in business, a wide array of evaluation skills, and, of course, practical sheep knowledge. Our guest today, Mr. Brent Rader, can provide tremendous insight in these areas and all things involved buying, selling, and producing rams. Brent is currently the Sheep Extension Specialist for the state of Montana. He oversees the management of the Montana State University flocks and is an all-around sheepman who really wears many hats in the industry. Brent, thanks for joining us. Would you mind sharing a little bit more about your background uh, for our listeners? Hey, Jake, sure. And thanks for having me on and for doing these podcasts. They've really been interesting to listen to the the different series. So I grew up on a diversified uh, sheep, goat, cattle, small grain operation in Central Texas. Grew up with uh, Delane Marinos and a little bit of Rambouillet and went off to college. And when I left, the family switched over to uh, Dorpers and boar goats like a lot of operations did uh, in Texas after the uh, removal of the wool and mohair incentive. And so a good good financial uh, move for a lot of people down there. Uh, came up to Montana State University for a master's degree and got involved with the Targhee breed up here and the Columbia breed and all the Rambouillets that we run in Montana. So good dual purpose uh, uh, sheep and lamb breeds up here in Montana. Uh, Had the opportunity to manage uh, a fairly large registered Targhee operation for a Stephen Livestock Company, the Hibbard family out of Adele. Uh, large multi-generational operation there and, and learned a lot from from the family there as well as at Montana State University and so uh, do wear a lot of hats. Uh, we have a, a small uh, registered Targhee operation of our own and so I, I end up basically raising, selling, and buying bucks not only for the university but uh, for the family operation as well and so uh, I, I see a lot of uh, a lot of the different types of rams that are raised all over the United States, not only down south, but also up here. And, and I think I have a pretty good appreciation for the, for the different breeds that are out there in terms of the hair versus wool and, and how that plays into the economics of, of most commercial sheep operations. Absolutely. And we're really excited to have you. Uh, again, I think you're going to provide a great perspective on, on ram selection and, and management. So uh, first of all, you know, why are we having this discussion now? Uh, Are there some events that are coming up in the sheep industry here in the next few months? Yep, there sure are, Jake. Uh, We've had a couple of ram sales already. Uh, One in, I guess, two of them in Idaho now up here in the northern part. And you guys just had your production sale for the uh, Sonora Test rams, I think. Yep. And uh, so the big deal in the northern Great Plains right now, we're going to have six sales uh, between the end of August and mid-September. We got sales in North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming, uh, and three sales in Montana. And so if you don't get rams bought in those sales a lot of times in the northern Great Plains, it becomes very difficult to source rams uh, later in the year. A lot of times I see producers, you know, we all get behind and it's 2020 and it seems like uh, we had some really long winters up here. 
and it's really tough to focus on <clears throat> on the things that seems like you need to be focusing on but uh, producers really need to go out and inspect their bucks right now up in this part mm -hmm. of the country uh, we went through our bucks at msu last week uh, we went through bucks here on our place this week uh, getting everything tested and looked at um, and so that gives you an idea. You don't want to look at them a week prior to turnout and then figure out in November that, oh man, I'm short 20 head of mature rams. Where am I going to find them now? Because I get those calls all fall along. And so just, uh, you just need, I'd encourage producers to go out, look at their bucks right now. I know it's, it's hard to do because everybody's trying to get second cut put up or, or fencing before the snow flies. But. Absolutely. Uh, and so I think that's a great place to start. Uh, beyond just looking at the rams that you currently have, are there some uh, considerations that you need to make about your entire flock and uh, use included uh, before you go out and purchase or select new bucks? Yeah, so like all the rams at MSU, we go through, we do a, a breeding soundness evaluation on them, palpate all the testicles on them, make sure that they're in good shape and, and they're fed up and, and in good body condition score. Uh, we'd be Ovis test, uh, have the local vet, Dr. Sorensen, come in. Uh, we'd do that the same on our operation here, test all the rams. Uh, for Beovis just to make sure they're good breeders. Uh, get their feet trimmed, just look over them really well. You know, on the U side of it, a lot of times everybody talks about making a genetic improvement on the RAM side. But really to me, as, a, as in this talk, I think is a little more focused on the commercial side. Uh, I spend a lot more time trying to help commercial producers uh, make money. You know, just having some real general production data. I was talking to a producer, large commercial uh, producer last week, you know, what is your pound, your rolling pounds of lamb wean per you exposed uh, over the last five years? You know, is that going up or down? A lot of the commercial uh, wool flocks here in Montana on a large scale, uh, so you're talking a thousand head of ewes, they're averaging 90 to 110 pounds of lamb wean per you exposed, uh, and that's taking everything in. So that's every you that they turned out bucks with. And then basically getting a weaning weight on, on all of the lambs and, uh, you know, dividing those numbers. I see a lot of people trying to kind of cheat those numbers a little bit. They'll, they'll, well, I don't remember how many ewes we turned out with the bucks, but I know I lamb this many ewes and I, and we wean this many lambs. So yeah, we're doing good. We're weaning about 160% lamb crop, you know? And so you, you tend to forget the 10% of the ewes that were dry and dry and the 5% that lost their lambs, you know? And so they got, so when you, a lot of times if you're really honest with yourself on those, on the production data system, uh, yeah, you're, you're 90 to 110 pounds per, per you expose. So, you know. Sure. Sure. So you've, you know, you've kind of looked at your own flock, you've sort of identified some areas where, uh, you maybe would like to make some improvement and you're going to go out and, and purchase some rams that potentially have those traits. You know, how much progress or change can a producer expect by bringing in a new ram or, or rams? And, and what are some maybe short-term and long-term gains that can be expected? I think one of the biggest issues I see um, with a lot of times people that come talk to me at, at ram sales they they feel they have major problems in a lot of areas and they really want to change everything at once, you know, mm -hmm. and my wool clip is too coarse. I'm not shearing enough. Uh, I need to get my drop up a lot higher. My lamb survivability, my maternal, my use isn't real good. Um, 
and a lot of times, honestly, sometimes it's easier just to change your U-flock uh, if, if you want to make that many changes that quickly. It's, it's really difficult to go buy a RAM that's going to change or a battery of RAMs that is overnight going to change everything in your U-flock. And so what I try and, and talk to producers about is, is, well, let's prioritize and focus on a few traits. You know, we're where do you really need to make the most improvement? I mean, is it in your, is it in your drop? Or are you really wanting to find your wool clip up? And so a lot of those traits, depending on if it's a short or long-term goal, it depends on the heritability of the trait. So if you want to change the wool micron of your clip, um, that's fairly quick to do. You, you can do that in about a generation, four or five years of buying really fine rams. You're, you're going to turn over your wool clip fairly quickly. That being said, to make massive progress on fiber diameter, you might be severely impacting your, your drop or your pounds of lamb weaned. And so you really, some of those traits that are really highly heritable, yeah, you can make a lot of change real quick, but um, they can have some negative impacts too. And so really a lot of it is just trying to figure out, well, I'd like to change this trait. So I wanna change fiber diameter, but I don't wanna go backwards on my number of lambs born. And that's really the, the power of uh, the EBVs or the NSIP system is that you can compare and contrast those traits. Well, here's a RAM that is, you know, negative two uh, micron for an EBV, but he's still got a really good number of lambs born. And so I know I can make progress uh, on my wool traits and hold my lambing percentage about the same. Sure, absolutely. And I think we're going to talk about that just a little bit more here, here in a second. But I do want to kind of start from the square one perspective. So, you know, you've, you've looked over your flock and, and you decide, you know, these are the traits I need to, to change. Uh, these are maybe, you know, this is the type of RAM that I want to buy, but where do I start? You know, you mentioned that there's some sales coming up. There's probably some producers that are selling some bucks off their own place. You know, where do you start when you go to source RAMs? I think some of it depends on, on what you're looking for. Um, some of it depends on, on history. Um, so if you've been buying rams for somebody for a long time and you're very happy with the production of those rams uh, and you're not really make, looking at making any, any major changes, then you, you know, maybe you don't need to, to, to make any changes or go outside of your local area and look for some new genetics. And that's a lot of, of, of to me, what, what purchasing bucks is about it's kind of like purchasing bulls it's it's a lot of it's having a personal relationship or rapport with the producer um, you know that what they're producing is what you need and it's not a artificially produced animal uh, it's been raised in an environment that uh, you're currently producing in so you're not raising rams basically in a, in a feedlot or a completely a feedlot environment and then turning them loose, you know, uh, somewhere in, in some really uh, dry ground uh, where production's not quite as good. And so part of that is matching, you know, having a producer you know you can trust, a ram producer uh, that you feel very comfortable with their genetics, and then you know their, that their production system is fairly similar to what you're going to be running those sheep in that environment. Sure. And you may um, have touched on this, but you know, we sometimes hear about people talking about buying rams from several states away or even across seas for a AI or ET program. Um, are, are there, you know, what are the sort of the pros and cons of, of making a, a leap like that? 
Yeah. Well, I, I certainly don't have any uh, issues with people going out and, <clears throat> and sourcing rams from, there are some pros and cons to it. You know, I think we tend to forget fairly quickly that the Dorper and the boar goats and the South African meat merinos weren't raised here. They all sure. came, well, almost every breed of sheep, they all came from overseas somewhere. And so I think because of market changes over time, that was what happened there was somebody saw a need to make a major shift in the market to stay competitive. And so those traits weren't, they weren't able to source those traits locally or didn't feel that they could make progress fast enough locally on those traits. And so they went overseas basically and sourced, you know, maybe some faster gaining or thicker, bigger muscle type sheep. And so that, that's something that you can certainly do. Um, we've done it in the past at Bozeman, my family in Texas has done it. And so I know a lot of people, uh, that have done it even here looking at different wool traits. And so it, if, if you can't find the traits at home, it's, it's certainly something to look at. It's, it's definitely not something that you enter into. Uh, well, this is going to be a short term deal. Those, those type of situations take lots of years and lots of money to fully develop. Sure. Absolutely. There's some, some potential to make some gain, but there's also a little bit of risk too yep. with the, yep. the different environment. Absolutely. Yep. Okay, so um, you know you you mentioned it, uh, the estimated breeding values and a few other things, but just in general, what information do you think is valuable to be provided with when you're making a buck uh, purchase? Well, I think it depends on what your goals are. Obviously, I mean, most of the sheep we're kind of a Western whiteface uh, type sheep production system up here—a dual-purpose uh, meat, lamb, and wool. And so a lot of the breeds that I'm working with, uh, you know, they're very interested in maintaining a good wool clip. Uh, so we need a yearling micron. I see a lot of bucks being sold on a lamb micron. Uh, lamb micron is, is better than nothing, but we're starting to find that those lamb microns, it seems like they used to move about a micron and a half to two microns from lamb to yearling or to an adult. Um, we're starting to see some lines now that are moving five, six, seven microns from a lamb to a yearling. And so I'd really like to see a yearling micron on them. Um, we'll, we'll basically look at that. I like to see as much production data as, as possible. If you can't get a full set of EBVs on them, I certainly want to know how the ram was born, how he was raised. Maybe if you had a little bit of a weaning weight or the production data off the ewe herself uh, is always helpful. And, uh, and then it's always a visual issue on the ram itself, you know, depending on what type of uh, visual traits you want. We've, with, with shears kind of getting harder to find, especially in the fall, everybody's got two or three jobs now. It's, it's getting more and more difficult to find shears to come in and I am tag use in the fall to clean their faces up. And so what we're seeing anyway up in this country is it's really difficult to sell rams that have any face wool on them anymore and so there's always those little considerations like that that kind of play into what what you're going to be looking for sure and will that be will you have the same perspective if you're looking to source terminal sires or blackface bucks so terminal sires and we do have some very good terminal sires up here uh, producers that produce them and a lot of what they're basically focusing on their producers should be focusing on is uh, you know what's the growth trade on those bucks uh, because you're not keeping any lambs out of them so basically what you're trying to do is get a faster gaining maybe uh, a little better carcass merit out of them bigger ribeye better conversion in the feedlot less time on feed in the feedlot uh, 
we're seeing a lot more emphasis now that COVID has has kind of realigned our lamb production system. Uh, we have a lot of producers up here that are selling directly to uh, the supermarkets, and so a lot of those guys obviously are, are that's generating probably a little more interest in uh, in those terminal sires again, where they're trying to put a little more weight on those lambs and get a little better ribeye and and a little better cut of meat on them. So. Absolutely. Okay. So let's, let's touch back on these estimated breeding values. Uh, as a genetic selection tool, you know, what traits are EBVs most effective for measuring and, and you know, what traits can you really select for using EBVs and how much stock do you put in them? Well, it, the, there's a lot of breeds that are still, I guess, trying to get up and running. The Rambouillet breed here recently has really made a big move into uh, trying to get their uh, estimated breeding values up and accuracy is high on them. The Targhee breed started uh, when I came to Bozeman in 94, I think they had started in the late eighties. And so the accuracies of their EBVs just because of the number of records they have in their system is actually quite good. And so in the Targhee uh, lines, we have a lot of faith in our EBVs um, and you can almost look at a you you can look at her wool traits especially because the wool traits are so much so highly heritable you, you can almost look at a you look at her fleece and, and start calling her ebvs in terms of staple length and fiber diameter and maybe a little bit on uh, her grease fleece weight uh, they're they're that accurate enough so those are the traits that that we probably look at the most we look at fiber diameter we look at grease fleece weight staple length um, there was a big push a couple of years ago to look at, uh, and, and still is to some degree, but uh, to look at eye muscle depth. There was a lot of interest in increasing uh, some of the retained ownership lambs that were the producers were being paid on the grid. And so they wanted a minimum of a three inch eye. They really didn't want to use a lot of terminal sires because they wanted to, to maintain those white face ewe lambs to be able to sell them back into the country. So there was a big push to try and and get a minimum ribeye depth on these uh, white-faced wold rams. So that was one that uh, kind of got big here a couple of years ago. But other than that, we look we look a lot at number of lambs born, number of lambs weaned. Um, we we also look a lot at milk weight and and post weaning gain. And so those are kind of kind of the big ones that uh, that everybody looks at. Number of lambs born is an interesting trait. Uh, you know, it, it, it's pretty heritable. Um, and so I like to caution everybody that uh, that trait can get can can make you a lot of money and can get you in a lot of trouble if you're not careful with it. So we, we have rams. You can go from a negative number of lambs born, which means you're gonna be below average on your drop or you can be you know up in a positive 35 which means you're probably in most breeds going to have a lot of almost all twins and a lot of triplets and probably some quads too and so I, I always caution everybody on some of these ebvs they are a very powerful tool to help you but if you're not careful with it you can get yourself into a little bit of trouble too in the lambing barn so absolutely so i'm going to ask you to put on your commercial producer hat I'm going to ask you a tough question. Uh, you know, you talked about EBVs, the various traits that they measure. As a commercial producer, would you buy a ram or rams that didn't have breeding values? Yeah, and sometimes we we buy um, 
we do buy rams that don't have uh, EBVs or genetic testing on them. Uh, and, and a lot of times that situation is we're trying to get new genetics in. So one of the issues you run into, just like dairy cattle and everything else, when you get into the top tier, I like to say the in the cattle breeds too, once you get into the top tier of, of those really productive sheep that have been performance testing that have EBVs, uh, it's a pretty small world. I mean, the, the genetic component is pretty tight there. And so a lot of times it's, it's helpful to go outside the flock. Uh, if we buy those type of genetics that, that don't have full EBVs on them, we generally know the producer. Um, we know their genetics. A lot of times a generation or two, they might've bought, brought a ram in that had EBVs. And so we have some idea of how they're going to perform, but but I think that's the, the main deal. We're, we're either trying to get some new genetics into that system or we're bringing in a very specific production-oriented trait that maybe we can't measure with EBVs. I mean, there are, there are things out there you can't measure with, uh, with genetic testing. And so at, well, at this point, I'll say you can't measure them. At, you know. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And so and then this, to this point, we've talked about quantitative traits, um, but is there other genetic data or genetic information that you would like to be provided with on a buck before you purchase them? Let's say some markers for scrapie resistance or susceptibility, or maybe OPP, ovine progressive pneumonia, you know, some of those molecular tools. Is, is that important? Oh yeah, definitely is. I mean, scrapie hasn't gone away. It's, it's, it's out there for sure. Uh, we need to be cognizant of it and, and try and do what we can. In Montana, we're seeing, uh, we do have an issue with OPP. It, it's not so much, we're not seeing it as a pneumonial OPP. It tends to show up as hard bag. Uh, and we have every year, I get called uh, several times and we have issues with that. And so, so there are some traits out there, the fecal egg scores uh, for parasite resistance, another really important one for the South and the Southeast. Uh, so producers need to focus on, on some of those those genetic testing deals that maybe some of that uh, you can record in, in NSIP as an EBV. I get calls all the time, you know, I really need to improve my mothering ability and my use. And it's like, yeah, that's one um, I'm afraid we don't have. Uh, yeah, that's a tough one to measure. Yeah, an, an EBV for right now. That's really where knowing the, the producer of your rams, really knowing them well, it, if you have to make changes in mothering ability, uh, that's something that, yeah, you're, you're just basically going to have to know the producer and know, know how they run their, their U flock. So. Sure. Absolutely. And so having that, you know, kind of producer connection and obviously the, the data and the information is important, but that's not the whole picture. Uh, so how about visually? What are, you know, how, what are your thoughts on, on visual appraisal of a buck on the day that you're going to purchase them? And, and, you know, how do you rank those? What are the three most important things that you look at visually? So visually, you know, whether it be, uh, whether it be a terminal sire, uh, a hair sheep, a wool sheep, it doesn't matter. I mean, to me, it, it, it's on the ram side. You got to look at your scroll circumference. Uh, I, it, it, I see a lot of these rams out there that uh, they have a very small scroll circumference. Uh, you know, a 14 to 16 month old lamb, ram that's that's maybe you know 25 to 28 uh, centimeters, something like that, and that really has a big impact on the productivity of your of his daughters. And so we really, 
mean, that's one of the things I look at probably first is, is that scroll circumference and making sure, because that's basically what you're buying. I mean, that's the whole essence of buying a Ram. If, if not, just go buy weathers, you know, and so it's, they, they do need a good scroll circumference there. I look a lot at uh, summit structure, uh, feet and legs uh, and volume. You know, there are different production systems. Uh, we're up here in the Northern Great Plains. Uh, we expect these use, we're running them through a shed lambing system. You've got to have, uh, you know, at least 150% drop, 140% drop uh, to, to make those systems profitable just because of the inputs into them and the structure and the labor and facilities. And so, you know, when it's 35 below zero and the ewe standing out there got snow up to your belly, and you're asking her to carry a big set of twins and then you knock the wool off of her and it's still pretty cold and she's got to eat six or eight pounds of hay on top of having those twins in her you really got to have a big bowl sprung rib and a deep flank uh, and some width down through the floor of her chest and so the the structure to me is, is still pretty important i like to see uh, especially up on the front end some width through the floor of that chest uh, a big deep uh, spring a rib and things like that you know and then more specifically uh on the wool sheep we we do spend a lot of time looking at our wool up here uh, uniformity of wool length of wool you know do they have belly wool uh, you know what's the uniformity from side to bridge what's the micron visually what's the crimp we still like a, a nice distinct crimp and tight crimp in our wool up here and so yeah those those are kind of the big deals i look at how about how about horns horns versus pole so we, we do still raise some horn ram, mostly rambolets uh, up in this country. A lot of guys, just because of the, the shearing system and the chute system that we use, we, we shear a lot of these rams uh, in the chute or they come up a trailer. And uh, horns can be an issue. I know the guys uh, down south still, still prefer the horned rams, and, and I've... Uh, I still like working a good set of horn bucks as, as good as anybody, you know, have a nice wide uh, pearl on them instead of those tight little things that the shears complain about all the time. You, I'm sure you've sheared a few of them in your, in your day, but uh, I know you have. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's really frustrating as, as a, as a shearer and somebody who grew up down South and really knows what a nice set of horns looks like. And then <laughs> yeah. you, you get into a little dinky tight, set of uh, horns that uh, they they really get frustrating but but most of the bucks we're producing up here nowadays are, are polled rams columbia's targies are naturally polled and a lot of the rambolet guys uh, have switched over to to pole rams there's there still are quite a few horned ones but you get into wyoming and the dakotas yeah horns they're they're still the king especially wyoming they they really produce some nice horned rams down there sure Okay, so if you like what you see on the buck, uh, I'm going to ask you to rank some attributes that may be also associated with that ram. Uh, so there's going to be five of them, and I want you to give your perspective, again, from a commercial producer's uh, viewpoint. So you like what you see visually, but rank these following five attributes. That ram is registered. He has had show ring success. He comes with estimated breeding values. He has raw performance data, or he's from a reputable breeder. Well, <clears throat> I think the main, the main take home there, the main part of that, the question is that we're talking about commercial importance. And so, you know, to me, commercial importance is, is, is 
somebody's basically selling sheep into the commercial system. They're probably selling on volume. A lot of it to me really comes down, even with EBVs, I still want to buy a buck from a breeder I can trust, mm -hmm. um, a, a reputable breeder. And, and so that, that is to some degree is, is uh, one of the big ones. And then to me, it's it, after that, it's uh, EBVs. Uh, and then after that, the raw performance data. You know, if you have two breeders that you trust, uh, both selling rams, you like a ram from each one, then it's pretty easy just to go to the EBVs uh, and, and pick it. Or if you have two breeders that you trust, one of them has EBVs, the other one doesn't have any performance data at all. That's a little tougher one. I'm probably going to go with the EBVs from a commercial standpoint at that point. Sure. But what about cost? That's something that we haven't touched on yet. You know, if, if a ram has all the right pieces, what is he worth? Uh, and how do you sort of estimate that? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one, especially going into this year. You know, we've, we've had a couple of good years in the, in the lamb and wool business. And so this year with, with kind of the decline in the wool market and some issues uh, with our lamb marketing system, um, it's going to be an interesting year to see what ram sales do. The, the association sales this summer did pretty well. You know, a lot of those registered type sheep still sold fairly well. Uh, we're just now getting into the, into the commercial type ram sales. And so I know money is pretty tight out there uh, on the ranches and especially up in the Northern Great Plains. And so it, it will be interesting to see how, how the rams sell. Um, like I tell a lot of producers, it's like there, there is a need for having a good year for having a good buyer sale, I would say, you know, where, where rams are going to be, uh, uh, I guess, more affordable for, uh, for a lot of different producers out there. So the Montana ram sale, you know, a lot of years we've, we've averaged 900 to $1,200 a ram. Uh, the floor has been about six to $700 on those bucks. They're all, they're all performance tested. Uh, all have wool data on the wool rams and, you know, they'll go up uh, three, $4,000 for just even commercial rams sometime this year. We're probably going to be, I would say probably closer to that six, seven, $800 range. Um, and, uh, a lot of it, there, there are some ratios you can kind of use. Uh, some of them that have been thrown out there is, is about a five to one ratio with feeder lambs. So if you take an 80 to 90 pound feeder lamb, which right now they're worth probably 115 bucks a head, 120 bucks a head up in this country, multiply that by five, you know, you got, you got a base price on your commercial rams of about $600 a head. You know, two, three years ago when the lamb market was hot and those same lambs were bringing 175 bucks, 180 bucks, you know, now you're looking at $900 average on Rams or more. And so that seems to be a pretty, a pretty good, uh, a pretty good ratio to use. <clears throat> I will say you get what you pay for, you know, it's, uh, it's like anything else. Uh, if, if you're looking for a cheap set of bucks, uh, yeah, you don't expect to make a lot of progress. I mean, you definitely get what you pay for. If you, if you want the quality, you're, you're just going to have to jump out there. And, and sure. And so let, for it. let's think about if, you know, particularly if you're looking to purchase several bucks um, and you go to a sale and the, that average is up there and, and they're a little bit higher than maybe you want to pay, you know, maybe as opposed to purchasing rams, is it worthwhile to consider raising your own? 
you know, on the surface that may seem cheaper uh, and there may be some benefits as far as not having to, you know, move those bucks to a new environment. Um, but, you know, what are the positive and negative considerations to make here? You know, raise, raising your own bucks is always an interesting deal. And I hear a lot of commercial producers talk about, you know, I'm, they, they come to a ram sale and it's like, holy cow, I didn't know I was coming to a bull sale, you know, and I'm, it's crazy what these bucks are bringing. And, and so they go home and they, they commit to raising their own bucks and pretty quick I get a call at some point, you know, and, and I don't think some producers, it's almost like shearing sheep. You don't really realize how hard it is until you actually grab a sheep out of the chute and, and grab a set of clippers and it's like, wow, this, it looks so easy on YouTube, and, but it's really a difficult process. And raising really good quality, even, you know, terminal sire or, or wool rams is, there's a lot of work that goes into it and a lot of testing uh, and a lot of costs. And so, um, yeah, I don't have any problem with anybody trying to raise their own bucks. Cause it's, it's kind of, to me, it's kind of like shearing. It's like if, if, uh, if you really want to find out how hard it is, just try it once. And then after that, you're not really gonna, you're not really going to complain about the price after that. You're just going to hire the best person or buy the best Ram you can. So. Absolutely. Okay. So, um, you've got, you know, you made your purchase, you've got your Rams and, and they're back home at the place. Uh, do you go ahead and, and put them right out with the use? Uh, is that a, a good or a, a bad decision? You know, I generally tell people and most people are, are buying these sales are early enough that you're a couple of weeks to a month ahead of time. I always like to keep those, you know, like do a 10 day quarantine prior, even though almost all of these bucks have health inspections on them just to make sure you didn't pick up something at the sale, uh, foot rot, uh, something like that. We tend to go ahead and, and do a, a external parasite and internal parasite treatment on our bucks before we mix them. Um, we just try and get them adjusted at, at home as best we can or at the university. So they go into a separate pen, all of those new bucks by themselves, uh, put on a decent feed uh, where we can kind of watch them and make sure they didn't pick any pneumonia or, or fever or something up while they were on the road. And uh, then we, I like to introduce them into the, into the mature bucks at some point. I really don't like to, you know, just dump a bunch of bucks out with the ewes and pretty quick they're all fighting out there and they should be, you know, covering ewes and they're spending all their time fighting. And so a couple of, you know, 10 days to two weeks before we turn ewes out or even earlier, uh, we'll take all those mature bucks and all those young bucks, if they're all going to get group mated, dumped out at one time, and we crowd them into a small pen, at least overnight. And that way those mature bucks can't gang up on a, on a young new buck. Sometimes those Young bucks, we tend to run, so the Targi yearlings at MSU and, and here at home, we'll run them with our mature rams. Those mature rams kind of, I don't know, they, they kind of knock some sense into those younger rams. Sometimes those young rams, if, if they've never around a mature buck, they, they uh, get to thinking they're pretty tough and they, you turn them into a pen with them big bucks and and they trot out there with their head cocked and their ears back. And the next thing you know, they're lying on the ground kicking sideways because, you know, they hit one buck and another buck hits them in the side. Those mature bucks a lot of times don't, uh, don't play fair. So we put them in a small pen like that to kind of protect those younger bucks. The big ones can't gang up on them too much. They can't back up and get a run at them. 
and that just kind of gets them all like acclimated to each other for a bit there and 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 uh and that way when you get them when you get ready to turn them out into the use to cover the use they'll get down to business and not start fighting with each other not worry about each other absolutely yeah okay so i, I want to keep with this theme of, of management you know you've, you've spent the money you've made the purchase or even you've made the investment to raise your own uh, but it's really important to, to take care of these rams once you know they're headed into breeding season and, and even throughout the breeding season uh, do you recommend any vaccines or some treatments to rams that you've purchased or, or rams that are about to go out with use and how do you handle that sort of health aspect well, a lot of the vaccinations, I'm always surprised at how few people vaccinate for a Vibrio or committee in their ewes. And so I'd throw that out there on the ewe flock. We've, we've been struggling with some abortion issues uh, up in this North country. And so I would recommend, and, and if you look at that, they do recommend some of those uh, two months prior, given the first shot two months prior to turn out of rams. And so that's something that people need to be looking at right now. Um, no, the bucks just need to be well fed. You know, a lot of people, if, if they're going to have them on a pretty hot diet, they'll, they'll continue with their overeating or CMB clostridial vaccinations. The main thing that we're seeing, if you're not buying those bucks from a reputable breeder, is I think we have some resistant uh, kid issues or sheep tick issues. And, uh, <clears throat> and it seems like most of them are coming in on the bucks. Um, and so that's one of the reasons that we quarantine our rams for at least 10 days, anything coming into the operation, and we'll uh, do an external parasite treatment on them and uh, try and get them cleaned up. But I'd highly recommend that, especially if you don't have ticks anymore, unless you know you're buying bucks. And that's one of the important reasons of, to buy bucks from a reputable breeder and somebody you can trust. If you don't have ticks, uh, yeah, you better be treating everything that's coming into the operation. Absolutely. And so you, you mentioned it just a second ago, but how, how important is nutrition and body condition score, both from an aspect of maybe a buck being too thin or too fat at the time of purchase or when he comes in? You know, how do you monitor that and, and how closely do you keep watch of that while he's out with the use? Yeah, it's, that's always a big deal. You know, a lot of times uh, a lot of these rams are really well fed uh, at the sales. And so it's always a trade-off. You definitely don't want to, you know, go in and buy a bunch of thin rams because then it's like, wow, I don't know. I mean, are these things wormy? Did they just not feed them? Did they just not gain right? And so you, you definitely like to see a set of bucks come into the ring that have some shine on them and some condition on them. But, but obviously rams that have basically just laid around their whole life and, and had never had to go out into a, you know, multi-section pasture and, and chase after a big band to use, uh, they're going to be basically sitting there with their head down under some sagebrush after just a couple of minutes of running after those ewes. And so it is a real trade-off. Uh, you know, you want those bucks in good condition to be able, be able to go out there and basically work for three weeks to a month and a half, however long your breeding season is. Um, I'd much rather have those bucks have a little more condition on them than a, than a little lighter condition. Um, one of the issues that we, that you may run into is, uh, if you buy some buck lambs, they need to be treated a, a little differently. And I don't know how every operation is a little different. A lot of times if we're breeding buck lambs, uh, say some Suffolk ram lambs or terminal cross ram lambs, hamp crosses or something, a lot of times we'll sort those ewes off um, and just put them on a little better feed, 
possibly pin breed them so that those ram lambs don't have to cover so much country as those mature bucks. Uh, and you got to remember that they're still growing. I mean, most of those ram lambs are only about eight months old. So if you want them to have some longevity, which uh, there's a lot of people complain about that, it's, you know, a lot of times they just take those ram lambs, they buy them, they're nice, really good looking ram lambs that have been on good feed take them out, they dump them into a multi-section pasture, grease wood and alkali water. And, and, you know, those ram lambs have never been exposed to that type of situation. And then they chase these old range ewes around for a month and then they, you know, put them in a pen with uh, a bunch of other mature rams who beat up on them pretty bad and they don't get any extra feed. And so I just encourage everybody to, to think about that. If you're spending the money, the, the producers have a lot of pride and have put a lot of time and thought into raising those terminal sire ram lambs and so uh, you know you might just spend a little more time taking a little better care of them to get a get a few more years out of them. Sure and something on ram lambs is there a, a magic number as far as age or, or something that you can see visually on the buck that you know that he's ready to breed? No some yeah some of it's going to be uh, you know scroll circumference obviously uh, I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, you know, I hear, I hear a lot of people say 120 pounds, but I mean, it's so breed variable in terms of what the mature size is on, based on your machete, on your, on your uh, genetics of, of what you're buying. But to me, a lot of it is just scroll. I mean, a lot of these ram lambs, sometimes they'll have, if, if they're raised right and have the right genetics, they'll have a bigger scroll circumference than, than even an 18 month old uh, mature ram. And so, yeah, that, that's a lot of what I look at. So. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. So regardless if it's a, a buck lamb or even a mature ram, they've been out with the ewes, they've probably lost a little bit of condition. You know, how, what does that management look like once they come out? How should you treat them to get them prepared for next year? Um, a lot of times you got crippled bucks, you know, and so just, just making sure you're, you're treating everything, uh, getting them cleaned back up. They've, they've had a, a pretty rough month, uh, getting them back on feed, getting some, especially up here in this North country, a lot of these bucks we're pulling, you know, we might be pulling them in November or right before Christmas. A lot of people will, and that's traditionally we'll get some bad weather in there. You know, they, they do need to be treated a little better, put on a higher plane of nutrition, try and get some condition back on them um, before winter sets in too bad. And, and, uh, and they basically just get sick and go down on you. So. Absolutely. Okay, so you've, you know, you've had your ram and he's, he's made it through his first breeding season. You know, how do you quantify how much of an impact that new buck has had? Uh, you know, be it positive or negative, new buck or, or bucks. And are there forms of technology? Are there ways to maybe track this that you can help uh, kind of keep a, an eye on that? You know, how, how much of an impact did that, that buck have? Well, it's, I don't know, it's kind of funny as, as a buck breeder a lot of times you hear people you know it's like you know boy i really like that buck i got all twins out of him well you know really that probably had more to do with the you i mean to be honest <laughs> with the with the nutritional uh profile of the you and the genetics on the you side and so it is difficult to to especially if you're buying bucks from a lot of different producers i mean there are some stuff we can see uh in the lambing barn or in the lambing shed or out in the drop lot in terms of, you know, does, are you getting more entropian out of, out of the sheep this year, which I do think there's probably some nutritional stuff with inverted eyelids, 
or black spots, uh, that's probably the stuff you're going to see. You're going to notice right away from uh, from bucks. A lot of it, though, to me, is still having a simple spreadsheet, you know, and, and tracking those long-term production numbers. And that's going to tell you whether or not you're making the right decisions as long as you're providing uh, the right amount of nutrition for the use. You know, if you go out and buy buy rams that are capable of dropping 200 percent and you're still feeding the ewes for 125 percent drop it, it doesn't matter how good a genetics you buy you have to provide the nutrition and the facilities and the infrastructure to allow those ewes or the ewe flock to, to reach their genetic potential uh, we've really struggled with that in the north country we've had two record snow years out of the last three historic snow years uh, last year at the end of September, we had four feet of snow just north of us, and it stayed for months. Uh, and so we we fed for a long time, and we had a lot of moldy hay because of moisture. And so that that's part of the issue is is a lot of people will select really really productive bucks uh, that should be moving them forward, but then because of nutrition or environmental conditions or management issues because of poor facilities or not enough labor or not enough mixing pins or not enough time in the lambing jug, uh, we basically, we might be wasting that genetic potential uh, of the rams that we're buying, so. Right. It's a, it's a, a multifaceted approach that's needed, absolutely. Yep. Okay, so we've covered a lot of things uh, today and, and really appreciate, again, your perspective on selecting rams before you make that purchase, you know, what they're worth, how to manage them. But if you could leave our listeners with one take-home message from this podcast today, what would it be? So take-home message, um, well, first, go get your bucks work, your mature bucks. So, you know, yeah. so you have an idea when you, when you show up at the sale, what you need, you know, how many you need and what kind of bucks you're looking for. Uh, so that's number one, take home lesson from today's deal. Um, I'd say the second deal is, you know, if you're a commercial producer and you are truly interested in making progress in very specific areas, try and find those performance tested bucks. All right. So we're about out of time. Um, you know, we've, we've got a 45 minute podcast here, but again, a tremendous amount of information in, in that um, a really great perspective. And so I, I want to say once again, a big thank you to, to Mr. Brent Rader uh, for joining us for this edition of ASI's research update. Uh, breeding season is nearly here uh, for many producers across the country. And hopefully this month, We've covered some things and we provided you with a little information that'll help make that more successful. So until next time, remember eat lamb and wear wool and thanks for listening.